All right, so it feels like a short study. I'll give you an introduction. Um, last week was my fifth year anniversary of being here. So five years ago, last Sunday, was the first time that I would share. I would share a Mother's Day message, uh, the second time, I guess, that I would be here. We would put it together. In that time of thinking about those messages, I know we've covered Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the lessons that we can learn from Mary, and just, uh, just an awesome time learning about Mary. I think Mary, as a, a, a person, struggles with one of two extremes from many. Either she's exonerated to a position that she has no business being exonerated to. She is not a co-redemptress. She is not God. Uh, she's the mother of Jesus, and she was a very godly woman, and God chose her because she was godly. Um, so those two extremes of either we don't pay any attention to her or we pay too much attention to her, I think she has a lot to teach us of what a young godly woman is. And so for that, I am thankful to Mary, the mother of Jesus. So we looked at Mary, I remember. Uh, we also looked at Hannah, the mother of Samuel the prophet. And Hannah was barren for quite a few years for her whole life, and up to the point where she prayed to God and, and got to the desperate point and place in her life where she said and cried out, God, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And so we looked at Hannah. Um, I don't know if we ever looked at, but I was thinking about her this morning. Just think about the mother of John and um, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. If you remember them, the mother came to Jesus and said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, I want my two sons to sit at your, one at your right hand and one at your left hand. And so that mom that just loved her kids and wanted to see her do well and rule and reign with God. And of course, they thought that the Messiah would set up his kingdom immediately. And she wasn't really fully aware, but mom looking out for her boys, just say, hey, you know, I know Jesus is going to do something. And so the heart of a mom. And then there's other moms throughout the scriptures that we can look at. But what I've chosen to do today is I've chosen to take um, the attributes of God. Um, and God uses moms uh, quite a few times in the scriptures as part of who he is and how he deals with his children. How he loves them and how he cares for them and how he protects them and how he looks out for them and how he weeps and, and, and hurts when they're going astray. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to start with the attributes of God. If you take any philosophy class uh, in college, uh, one of the things that you do is philosophy is nothing more than, you know, the whys of life and, and what is life all about and just those just way out there concepts. And I remember sitting in my philosophy class in, in college and um, having this weird, he was a weird teacher. Just, I don't know if you guys have ever had a weird teacher, but this guy believed that we were going to evolve to the place where we could be sitting on the couch. This is how weird he was. And he wrote a book on this. We, he, we could be sitting on the couch and through mental telepathy, watching a football game, we can have our refrigerator door open and a beer would come out the refrigerator door and it would mental telepathy to us. And then we can just with our minds be able to twist the cap off and then we could drink our beer. We don't have to get up because we're sitting on the couch. That was my teacher in philosophy. Um, so at the same time that he believed that, the same exact teacher in college is writing the attributes of God on the chalkboard or the whiteboard. I don't even remember what it was. Probably a whiteboard. 
Yeah, on the whiteboard, he's writing the attributes of God. And if there is a God, then these are the attributes of what the world believes this God is. And so I found it interesting because as far as the attributes of God, he was right on. He gave us about 20, 25 of the attributes of God. And so we're going to start there. We're going to look at the attributes of God. And then I'm going to show you what God did in creation with man and woman in dividing those attributes. And then we're going to show how God, again, uses moms as an example for a lot of his characteristics and who he is so that we can see what a mom is supposed to be and then what God truly is to us. So let's take a look at these attributes. Number one, God is Jehovah. You'll notice that these attributes go with a set of scriptures. These attributes will be placed on the website. If you want to look at them again, we'll have them up here for you. But God is Jehovah. The name of the independent, self-complete being, I am who I am, is what he would say in the book of Exodus to Moses. Only belongs to Jehovah God. Our proper response to him is to fall down in fear and awe of the one who possesses all authority. Interesting, the name Jehovah is the holy name of God. And what it is, when they used to write the holy name of God, this Jehovah, they would write in the Old Testament, Y-H-W-H, and they removed the the vowels and only put the consonants because it was such a holy reverential name for God that they couldn't write the whole thing out. And so we don't know if it's pronounced Jehovah. We added the uh, vowels so that we could produce a word. Otherwise, we'd be saying, is the name of God. And nobody wants to do that, you know. So because of that, again, we added the vowels and we're able to say the word or the name Jehovah. That's what we think it is. But this is the ultimate name. It means the becoming one. God is what we need him to be. He will become what you need him to be in the moment that you need it. And we'll see that through the rest of his names. Again, number two now, God is Jehovah M. Kadesh. This name means the God who sanctifies. A God separate from all that is evil requires that the people who follow him be cleansed from all evil. The next one, God is infinite. God is beyond measurement. We cannot define him by size or amount. He has no beginning, no end, and no limits. The next one, God is omnipotent. This means God is all-powerful. He spoke all things into being and all things, every cell, every breath, every thought are sustained by him. There is nothing too difficult for him to do. The next one, God is good. God is the embodiment of perfect goodness and is kind, benevolent, and full of goodwill toward all creation. Next, God is love. God's love is so great that he gave his only son to bring us into fellowship with him. God's love not only encompasses the world, but embraces each of us personally and intimately. Next, God is Jehovah Jireh. This name means the God who provides. Just as he provided yesterday, he will also provide today and tomorrow. He grants deliverance from sin, the oil of joy for the ashes of sorrow, and eternal citizenship in his kingdom for all those adopted into his household. Next, God is Jehovah Shalom. This name means God, the God of peace. We are meant to know the fullness of God's perfect peace or his shalom. 
God's peace surpasses understanding and sustains us even through difficult times. It is the product of fully being what we were created to be. God is immutable, the next one. All that God is, he has always been. All that he has been and is, he will ever be. He is ever perfect and unchanging. The next one, God is transcendent. We must not think of God as simply the highest in order of beings. This would be to grant him eminence, but he is more than eminent. He is transcendent, existing beyond and above the created universe. The next one, God is just. God is righteous and holy, fair and equitable in all things. We can trust him to always do what is right. Next, God is holy. God's holiness is not simply a better version of the best we know. God is utterly and supremely untainted. His holiness stands apart, unique and incomprehensible. Next, God is Jehovah Rapha. This name means Jehovah heals. God alone provides the remedy for mankind's brokenness through his son, Jesus Christ. The gospel is the physical, moral, and spiritual remedy for all people. Next, God is self-sufficient. All things are God's to give, and all that God that is given is given by him. He can receive nothing that he has not already given us. Next, God is omniscient. This means God is all-knowing. God's knowledge encompasses every possible thing that exists, has ever existed, or will ever exist. Nothing is a mystery to him. Next, God is omnipresent. God is everywhere, in and around everything, close to everyone. Do do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. Next, God is merciful. God's merciful compassion is infinite and inexhaustible. Through his own provision in Christ, he took the judgment that was rightfully ours and placed it on his own shoulders. He waits and works now for all people to turn to him and to live under his justification. Next, God is sovereign. God presides over every event, great or small, and he is in control of our lives. To be sovereign, he must be all-knowing and all-powerful, and by his sovereignty, he rules his entire creation. Next, God is Jehovah Nisi. This name means God is our banner. Under his banner, we go from triumph to triumph and say, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Next, God is wise. All God's acts are accomplished through his infinite wisdom. He always acts for our good, which is to conform us to Christ. Our good and his glory are inextricably bound together. Next, God is faithful. Out of his faithfulness, God honors his covenants and fulfills his promises. Our hope for the future rests upon God's faithfulness. Next, God is wrathful. Unlike human anger, God's wrath is never capricious, self-indulgent, or irritable. It is the right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. Next, God is full of grace. Grace is God's good pleasure that moves him to grant merit where it is undeserved and to forgive debt that cannot be repaid. My last page. God is our comforter. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the comforter, 
And the Apostle Paul writes that the Lord is the God of all comfort. Next, God is El Shaddai. This name means God Almighty, the God who is all-sufficient and all-bountiful, the source of all blessings. Next, God is Father. Jesus taught us to pray, our Father, in Matthew 6, 9. And the Spirit of God taught us to cry, Abba, Father, an intimate Aramaic term similar to Daddy. The creator of the universe cares for each one of us as if we were the only child he had. Next, God is the church's head. God the Son, Jesus, is the head of the church as the head, the part of the body that sees, hears, thinks, and decides. He gives the orders that the rest of the body lives by. Next, God is our intercessor. Knowing our temptations, God the Son intercedes for us. He opens the doors for us boldly, asks God the Father for mercy. Thus, God is both the initiation and conclusion of true prayer. God is Adonai. This name means master or Lord. God, our Adonai, calls all God's people to acknowledge themselves as his servants, claiming his right to reign as Lord of our lives. And finally, God is Elohim. This name means strength or power. He is transcendent, mighty, and strong. Elohim is the great name of God displaying his supreme power, sovereignty, and faithfulness in his covenant relationship with us. So this was taken from the Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer, Names of God by Nathan Stone, and God of Glory by Kenneth um, Landon, just so that you know the source of where that was Uh, taken from. And the reason I gave you the attributes of God and the names of God and the characteristics of God and who God is, is because God did something at creation. The Bible declares that there is one God. There's no more than this one God. But in that one God, God is revealed in three persons. He is revealed in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And there are Systems of religion that teach mother God and the femininity of God and that God is a woman and that Jesus, uh, you know, went back and forth from being a, a male to a female and trying to be inclusive. And I don't know if it's a part of feminism or just a part of incluism where they're trying to include God to all people, uh, 50% of the population being female, but Nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible declares that that one God revealed in three persons, we have God the Father. The pronouns that are given to God the Father are always male. He, him. We have God the Son, Jesus Christ. Again, the pronouns that are given to Jesus are always masculine. He, him. And there's a scripture in John chapter 16, verse 13, referring to the Holy Spirit. And notice it says, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his, his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. And so God is clearly defined and delineated as masculine in masculine terms. But as you study the scriptures, you see something interesting that God did in and within creation. In Genesis chapter 126, the Bible says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And so when he speaks of man, he's speaking of mankind. 
And he's speaking of men and women created in the likeness and the image of God. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, the Bible says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Two can become one because one was made into two. That's why this marriage argument between a man and a woman is such a powerful thing. Marriage was God's idea. It wasn't originated with man. And we tamper with marriage to the detriment of being outside the will of God, simply put. So God created us in his image, in his likeness. And these two will become one when they are unified because those two were at one point one. The only time, or not the only time, the first time that God uh, recalls something as not being good was when Adam was alone. You go through the six days of creation. On the seventh day, God rests. At the end, he says everything is good. Then he sees Adam and he says, it is not good that man should be alone. I'm going to make him a helper. A, com- uh, a helper comparable, compatible to him. And so in that moment, God puts Adam into a deep sleep, takes from the side of Adam, from his rib, um, and he fashions out of that which is already created, where Adam was created from the dust of the earth, and God breathed the, the breath of life in his nostrils. God now would take Adam, a rib out of the side of, of Adam, and fashion the woman, bring him alongside. And, and that's speaking volumes of this relationship and what God had intended for this relationship. He didn't take Eve from a part of the head so that Eve can rule over or Adam could rule over her. He didn't take uh, the part from, from the feet so that Adam can stomp upon her. He, it's just a beautiful picture of God saying, no, I'm going to take it from the side so that you guys can stand side by side in the world representing me, representing what I am about. And this is what God did. God divided himself when he made man and woman. And those masculine traits that God has and possesses, he gave to men. And those feminine traits that God has, he gave to woman. And so God possesses both masculine and feminine traits, and he, if you will, divided himself in creation, the pinnacle of his creation, what he called the apple of his eye of his creation, humanity, and to men and women, he gave these attributes. And it's only in seeing creation in man and woman that you get the full, complete picture of God in these attributes, And so I wanted to look at a few of those on this Mother's Day, and I wanted to show you how God will look at a mom and say, like a mom who does this, that's who I am. And so number one, he says God comforts his people like a mother comforts her child. We're going to look at that. Number two would be like a woman would never forget her nursing child. God will not forget his children. Number three, God is like a mother eagle hovering over her young Four, God seeks the lost like a housekeeper trying to find her lost coin. Five, God cares for his people like a midwife that cares for the child she just delivered. 
Six, God experiences the fury of a mother bear robbed of her cubs. And seven, Jesus longed for the people of Jerusalem like a mother hen longs to gather her chicks under her wings. So we'll look at those seven things and we'll just take a look at the scriptures that match with them and then we'll be done. Number one, God comforts his people like a mother comforts her child. Isaiah 66 verse 13, the Bible says, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. That idea of a mother who comes along that child and comforts. I look at kind of the contrast, the picture that came to mind is, is the difference between an ambulance crew, EMTs, nurses, doctors, those, those people in that field in contrast to police officers. If a police officer comes on a scene of an accident, a police officer is looking at that accident with a total different perspective. He's looking for fault. He's looking for blame. He's looking for who did what wrong or right so that he can write his report and he can point out who's right or wrong. As opposed to an EMT, somebody who's going to come up and they don't care who's at fault. They don't care who did wrong. They don't care what went on. They simply want to minister to the needs that are represented. If somebody is injured, if somebody is hurt, they want to get them help. And that's the idea here of what a mom looks like. A mom looks at their children and, and says, I need to bring comfort. I need to bring restoration. I need to bring where there's pain. I just want to bring something that's soothing. And God is saying, that's how I am. But I, I'm going to point to a mom to show you something that she possesses that I have given her She's bringing comfort. She's bringing something where there's pain. She wants to bring something soothing and healing. That's how I deal with people. But I'll use a mom as an example to show you how I deal with people. The second one, number two, like a woman would never forget her nursing child, God will never forget his children. Isaiah 49 verse 15 says, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. And so you imagine a mom that has nursed her children, a mom that has tenderly held those children to her body and through her body producing the sustenance that that baby needs to literally live. God is saying in that same tender way that she's not going to forget that child. I, as God, I don't forget. I don't forget my children. I've held them close. I've been intimate with them. I know them. I know every fiber of their being, if you will. Think about it. The Lord says he counts the numbers of hairs on our head. And as I get a little older, you know, the hairs are starting to... It's easier for God, I guess. Not that, it's, not that it was hard in the first place, but think of that intimacy. God's saying, I'm not going to forget. Is a mom going to forget the nursing baby that, that held, she held close to her body? Never, God is saying. And even if she does in that verse... Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. And again, as we're going through these attributes and as we're looking at a mom as an example that God is using, really they're pointing to the ultimate in a nurturer and one who cares and loves for us. So make sure that you're taking that in. The third thing is God is like a mother eagle hovering over her young. Deuteronomy 32 verse 11 says, As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. 
we have a term today called helicopter parents. And I don't think that's what he's referring to. It is, in a sense, a helicopter parent where there's a hovering over. But imagine your little baby learning how to walk and that mom's like, oh, be careful at the corner of the table. Oh, watch that little thing right there. Oh, there's a glass right over here. And just that mom caring for her child, making sure that that child is not going to be hurt. It's saying God is that way as an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. As a mother looks out and cares for her young, God is looking out for us and caring for us and knowing that there's sharp edges, right, in this world, knowing that there's catastrophe awaiting down that path and God is looking out for us and making sure that those things don't happen. Next, God seeks the loss like a housekeeper trying to find her lost coin. In Luke chapter 15, verses 8 through 10, The Bible says, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Think of the heart of that mother who knows that one of her children is walking astray, is walked away from the path of the Lord. And she's searching, she's doing what she can to make sure that that kid gets back into the fold. Many a nights I have prayed with Roxanne before we go to bed and knowing that one of our daughters, of our four daughters, was not uh, living the life that would be pleasing to God, not currently in, in touch and in tune with God and with what God would have for their lives. And many a nights I would watch my wife cry herself to sleep. The heart of a mother knowing that one of their kids is out there not walking in the path of the Lord, not, not doing what is pleasing to God. I love that scripture in Third John verse four. I mentioned it as I prayed for the moms earlier, but it says, I have no greater joy to know that my children walk in truth. And so the heart of God, he's comparing it again to to a woman who has lost one of the 10 little, little, uh, what is it, coins, 10 silver coins. And imagine a necklace of 10 coins and and the set is not complete if it only has nine. And, And you think of the heart of God, the Bible declares that he will leave the 99 in the safety of the corral to go after that one that is straying. And where did that heart come from in a mom? It came from God. When he sees his children straying, when he sees that one of his children is lost, he doesn't rest until that child is found in the picture that we have here. Next, we see God cares for his people like a midwife that cares for the child she just delivered. Notice Psalm 22, verses 9 and 10. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Psalm 71, verse six says, by you I have been upheld from birth. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of you. And Isaiah 66, verse nine, the Bible says, shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery, says the Lord? Shall I, who cause delivery, shut up the womb, says your God? And so the heart of God is 
He knows those who are going to be born again. He knows those who are going to be his children. And he's there in the day, in the moment that we are quickened, that our spirits that came into this world dead are made alive in Christ. And he remembers that. He knows that that's magical, that that's big, that's a momentous for him. <clears throat> God experiences the fury of a mother bear robbed of her cubs. Hosea chapter 13, verse 8 says, I will meet them like a bear deprived of her cubs. I will tear open their rib cage, and there I will devour them like a lion. The wild beast shall tear them. Wow. So a mother bear robbed of her cubs. You might see in a mom this tender, meek, quiet demeanor and disposition, but touch one of her babies and watch this whole different mindset come out. Oh no, no you didn't, not on my watch. And you just see this something that God has placed within a mom if you begin to mess with hers. And that's, again, God put that there. God placed that there within a mom to be protective and to look out. Nobody messes with their babies on their watch. And I love that. Finally, God, um, Jesus, let's see, where is it at? Yeah, Jesus longed for the people of Jerusalem like a mother hen longs to gather her chicks. In Luke chapter 13, verse 34, the Bible says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. This is an interesting scripture because we looked at the attributes of God. We see how powerful God is. And yet God understands free will, I think, better than we have a tendency to understand it. We sometimes take way too much um, responsibility for the outcome of the paths that our kids go on. So if they go astray, we begin to evaluate, what did I do wrong? It's my fault. Where did I mess up? And we take a lot of guilt and, and responsibility upon ourselves. On the other end, I've seen the, the parent who has a child that they're very proud of, and, and they, they'll talk to you as if, Everything that they did was the cause of that child doing all that perfect stuff. Well, yeah, I don't know if you know, but yeah, it's because, you know, I waited late, late awake, late at night, uh, praying all night and doing all this stuff. And it's like, well, I think they had some choice in the matter, too. I mean, they're the ones that studied hard and did all the right things that they needed to do. So, yeah, okay, I'm sure you contributed and you had something to do to it. In this case, you have God, you have Jesus who is overlooking Jerusalem. And he begins to cry. He begins to weep. And he knows that judgment is coming upon the nation of Israel. And in that moment, he is saying, it was my desire. I wanted to bring you in under the protection of my arms like a mother hen would protect her young chicks. But you were not willing. You wouldn't let me. And for the heart of a mom to come to a place where you recognize I'm going to have to let something else teach you the lessons that you need to learn because I've done my best at trying to give you those lessons, but for some reason you're not getting them. 
if you study prophecy and you know what's going to happen in the end, when it's all said and done, God's will is going to be done. The nation of Israel will come back to the fold. But what will take place in between will be 2,000 years of a church age. So God's right on time. He's right on his plan and his sovereign will is taking place. But the nation of Israel would experience something that the Bible calls a partial hardening. Their eyes would be veiled from the gospel according to Romans chapter 9. And in Romans chapter 11, the Bible declares that all Israel will eventually be saved. The all Israel is prophesied in the book of Joel as one-third of Jews that are living in the world during that time. That's a lot of people. Two-thirds will suffer and die in the tribulation period. One-third will be saved, and they'll be with God. The greatest revival that the world has ever known will take place in a little tiny seven-year period called the tribulation period where the most people will surrender their lives and their hearts to God during that horrendous time of God's wrath being poured out on the world. Jesus is overlooking Jerusalem, looking at the nation of Israel in recognition that what he wanted to do, they resisted, but he knew eventually they would get it. So moms, understand that if your children are walking away from God and the things of God, in that season where you have taught them everything you could, you have given them through example and through verses and through the upbringing, everything that you can and you have at your disposal, at this time you simply surrender them to the Lord and the world will teach them the lessons that they need to learn. The world will basically chew them up, spit them out, land them at the altar, the feet of Jesus, And he will be there to pick up the broken pieces. And so that's a word of encouragement for sure. But understand this. Be careful with how much guilt you put on yourself as a parent in the sense that you have a child that might be strained. I remind you that God, the perfect parent, parented his children in the perfect environment, paradise, and they made a choice to sin. So that's a powerful thing for us to kind of grapple with, but because of free will, people will make choices. We raise them in the ways of the Lord, in the path of the Lord. We hope and pray that they will always walk with the Lord and be uh, with God. In fact, that's why we have children according to Malachi chapter 3. God wants them back. He said, I gave you you children so that you can give them back to me. Godly offspring is what I desire. The best thing that we can do oftentimes for our children is to pray for them. And that's the heart of God as he knows, he sees that they're straying, but hey, they'll come back. So God comforts his people like a mother comforts her child. Like a woman would never forget her nursing child, God will never forget his children. God is like a mother eagle hovering over her young. God seeks the lost like a housekeeper trying to find her lost coin. God cares for his people like a midwife that cares for the child she just delivered. God experiences the fury of a mother bear robbed of her cubs. And Jesus longed for the people of Jerusalem like a mother hen longs to gather her chicks under her wings. I'll close with Proverbs 31, verses 28 through 31. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, 
but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the, of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for, Lord, you use moms as an example of your love, of your compassion, of your fury when somebody tries to hurt one of the ones you love. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for our moms. We thank you for the moms that are represented here. And we just pray, Father, that we would draw close to you, recognizing that you possess these attributes fully, completely, and perfectly. And so, Lord, we can run to you. We can cry out to you. We can call upon you in time of need. And so, Lord, for that, we are eternally and forever grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.